Welcome to Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. It's the classic Jesus music radio show. It's a look back at where it all began. This is Full Circle, looking back at the beginnings of today's contemporary Christian music. Now, here's your host, Jerry Bryant. Hi, everybody. This is Jerry Bryant, and welcome to Full Circle, the classic Jesus music radio show, where I'm taking you back to where it all began. Now, on this episode, a special treat, as I'll be looking back over 50 years with an early pioneer, Paul Clark from his studio in Herman, Missouri. We'll hear songs from Songs from the Savior, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and much more. Listen now, my friend, incline your ear this way. It will do you good to hear what I say. Don't forget his teaching, his words are life and truth for length of days peace they'll give to you don't lean upon the wisdom of the world but trust in the Lord with all of your heart don't reject his testing or faint when your
it's good to be in the room above the cavern. It is good to be. Good to, good to have you here in our <laughs> <Because> little bubble. <laughs> this bubble is beautiful. As I look out on the lake and I see the beauty of this fall season, and this interview might be heard anytime, place, but right now, in this given time, we're in a, a beautiful um, stone house. 1842. Stone. 1842? Yeah. Oh my gosh. A couple from Holland came over and built this in 1842 and had four children. Two of them passed away between 1842 and 1850. In 1850, they built the log cabin section over here that joins out that door. It's <laughs> a perfect place for a cup of hot tea and talking yeah. with my friend of 50 years, yeah. Paul Clark. Thank you for being on Full Circle. Um, as always, and again and again and again and again. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about because a lot has happened in the 50 years since I brought you to Carbondale, Illinois. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Upper Room Coffee House. One of the first coffee houses I ever played in. Really? Yeah, it really was. I mean, I was playing in some in the Midwest and out in Kansas and some in Denver where I had my own coffee house called the Narrow Gate. But, you know, to go a greater distance, I remember driving across 70 and going down 57 and getting over to Carbondale and coming into your house and all that. And the only person I had in that coffee house prior to you was Nancy Honeytree. Oh, wow. We were Jesus freaks. At least that's what they oh, called us. Absolutely. You know, people came into that coffee house and they would look in the back room to see if we were selling drugs. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're almost so happy. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't believe why we would be... You know, on the street amidst all the bars, the right. strip there in Carbondale. Yeah, right there in Carbondale, the strip. And on our on our window, it said, "We cannot help but speak of the things we've seen and heard." Mm -hmm. I remember that. We didn't know doctrine. Right. All we knew is Jesus was alive. He was real. I love And we Jesus. were having encounters with him. Yeah. And so this thing called Jesus music started to evolve. And I had our little radio show. Um, where I got hold of one of your albums, Volume One of Songs yep. from the Savior. Yep. Now, we can't date this interview, but <laughs> that was 1972. Two. February of 72. Which is the year we opened the coffee house and the year oh, I started the radio show. Yeah, when that first album came out, that, I think that probably was what really got my attention. You know, recorded in February, I got them in March. That very first concert I played in Denver was at 3,000 Young Life Kids. And we just, Bill Spear, just by chance, happened to think, oh, I'll bring a box of 50 records and maybe we'll sell a few. Well, then the Holy Spirit fell at that concert like crazy. Phipps Auditorium, Colorado Boulevard, Denver. And I got totally consumed with the ministry. I mean, I, I don't know, a lot of kids got saved that night, hundreds, uh, out of this, that crowd. They had a program, I was just a musical guest for a few songs. While I was singing, it just went off the program. <laughs> the whole thing skewed, the other director was just like, he couldn't reel back in. The Holy Spirit was just being poured out. And uh, long story short, we had 500 records in that van and 500 back in the coffee house. So Bill brought a box of 50 in. So as we were leaving the venue, because it was a union hall, we had to be off the premises at midnight, I stuck my foot in the door and said, Bill, the records are up in the foyer in the hallway. He goes, no, I sold them all. I said, you sold all 50? He goes, no, he holds the pillowcase up. He goes, I sold all 500. And no the you'll, you'll appreciate the story because of who I'm going to bring into the picture. Uh, the next Monday morning, a man walks into my coffee house, the narrow gate, and hands me his card, Bill Hearn, salesman for Word Records. <laughs> this is such a great, great story. And he's all hobnobbed out in his suit and tie and, Proceeds really to kind of dump on me that unless I'm on word, I'll never be anybody. 
And I literally escorted him out of my coffee house eventually. I don't need your business. I don't need a word. And then, oh, I don't know, maybe a week or two went by. The payphone in the coffee house rang. It was Gerald McCracken, the owner of Word. He said, I understand you met my salesman, Bill Hearn. You, know, you guys didn't quite see eye to eye on a couple things, the business part of it. He says, I thought I'd just get my plane fly up there. And you and I could, maybe I could just give you a different perspective, you know. And sure enough, man, you know, a couple days later, comes this guy in the coffee house with a cowboy hat and all denim <laughs> and a big, big belt buckle and horse, horse nut, you know, Arabian horses. And he sat on his head. Basically, what he was trying to say is we can take these songs in places you'll never go. We can sell these records. We have the contacts. We can put these records in. He said, you may not be aware of this, but there are other young people who are getting reports just like you that are having the exact same experience. And I thought, really? And that wasn't even, I don't know, maybe a week or two later, I got a hold of um, Love Song album. And then Upon This Rock, I got them both the same week. I was like, wow, here's, these guys are doing the same thing I'm doing, you know? Well, I remember yeah. going to 19, uh, see, 1972, the Expo Fest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was there. People were blown away. Yeah. Uh, they hadn't heard. Love Song came up with their first album that very weekend. Yeah, I know. I was there in Dallas that very, very hot day and weekend. Larry Norman yeah, was, I was there. On, I was on stage. I was standing next to Michael Lamar. He's playing with Armageddon Experience. Billy Graham. Yeah. Uh, see, Cash. a Jesus <laughs> movement. A, a revolution was overwhelming us and we didn't know what to do. You were one of the few insightful ones to start putting your music on record. Yeah. A lot of people didn't record anything because yeah. we weren't doing it for money. And it wasn't my really decision to do that. A man, I'm going to talk about this at my upcoming 50th, I mean, I've been doing this 50th anniversary concert and literally every night talking about a man, Dick Brown. He, he was an older man who came to my coffee house every weekend and saw all these kids getting sick. He was 43. So I was 20, 19, almost 20. And he was a much older man, he had 43. <laughs> but he said, you know, you gotta make a record. And I said, you know, hey, look, it takes money to make a record. I said, you know, back when I was an unlicensed pharmaceutical representative, I had plenty of cash flow. But now I said, see that Coke machine, that Pepsi machine? Pepsi takes 7%, seven cents of the dime. It's three cents left over for Bill Spear and I just split a penny and a half a piece. So there's no way I'm gonna be able to buy, you know, see your time and make a record. And uh, he said, I'm gonna look into it. And he came in every weekend, just kept saying, you gotta do this. And then he came in like the third weekend later and he handed me a check for $3,000 to give to Larry Benson. And he booked the studio time in Oklahoma City, Benson Sound Studios. He said, you know, it's all, Range when you drive to Oklahoma, give them this check, and you got 20 hours of recording time, 10 hours of mix down time, a thousand units of vinyl, eight tracks, or cassettes, whatever you wanted. I took all vinyl, so that's where those 500 went right away. So that was it, was, it was very, uh, wasn't something I ever planned out. It was never something I sat, uh, you know, to rewind two years before that, when I, where I gave my heart to Christ, was on the front porch of this cabin, where I'm filming a documentary right now up in Colorado tentatively called Tumbleweed in the Fence. Now, maybe talk about that, why that title is so significant. Uh, but anyway, on that front porch is where I wrote that summer 30 or 40 songs that I didn't have any theological understanding. I was a, raised a Lutheran, so I had a little bit of, you know, theology, but not much. But more than anything, I had the Holy Spirit came in me and just birthed all these songs. I'd only been playing guitar for four months, Jerry. I was a drummer for six years. <laughs> Those days of just not having stuff planned out. Just following the wind of the Holy Spirit. So good. 
One of the very first songs I wrote was a song called The Looking Glass Incident, which is the very first song on Songs to Save Volume 1. And even the intro of that record is kind of iconic from the standpoint of uh, Larry said, hey, listen, here's what I do in my studio. I cluster 6, 10, 12 records. I pick up all the players from the Oklahoma City Philharmonic at different shopping centers in my van and bring them into the back of the studio so the union won't see them playing in my studio because the union would not allow the session. So here I come back two weeks after recording my tracks and I'm sitting next to Bill Hedrick, the conductor for the Oklahoma City Philharmonic concertmaster, in a room full of 70 orchestra players. And he had come up with this line of da 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 ding 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 ding. The song starts on acoustic guitar, you know. So that was just like a he. I said, "What gave you the idea?" He says, "Well, you said you like bridge over troubled water, so I kind of came up with a a line kind of like that." It was so humbling sitting there on a stool at 20 years old, one headphone ear on, one ear off to listen to the room this whole symphony playing my songs you know they played them four songs of the 10 11 songs so it was uh, amazing but that song had a gaze into a looking glass and what did i see a face that looked somewhat like mine staring back at me his voice was soft and easy and before he left he said i'd like to save your life before you're dead i gazed into a looking glass and what did i see a face that looked somewhat like mine was staring back at me. His voice was soft and easy, and before he left, he said, I'd like to save your life before you're dead. I begged him not to hurry, but he drifted out. Sight. His face, it was replaced by a bright and shining light And then I saw the answer written plainly on my wall Teach this to your friends before they fall So if you all will come along Join me in this song We can learn to teach our hearts To be free Just come by faith Be not afraid For your ticket it has been paid By a man named Jesus Christ From Galilee Join me in this song We can learn to teach our hearts To be free Just come by faith Be not afraid 
We had no idea how this thing would evolve, whether it would just be a flash in the pan. I thought I was going to law school. My dad was a defense attorney. The very very first thing he taught me, uh, driving down there, I was like 10 or 12 years old, he said, the most important thing, son, to teach, to, to be a successful attorney, to teach your witness to stick to the story. <laughs> and that is still the best thing. Where are we? We are as witnesses. And if we stick to his story, this Jesus' story, the Word of God, we're going to win. If we go apart, not so good. So the Looking Glass incident is very appropriate. Very appropriate indeed. And we've got lots more to talk about. But first, a short break. This is Jerry Bryant. And maybe this is the first time you've heard this show and you'd like to find out more. Simply go to my website at www.fullcirclejesusmusic.com. That's fullcirclejesusmusic.com. You're going to find a synopsis of the program, past episodes, pictures, and a list of my affiliates around the world, both radio stations as well as internet podcast sites. Now, I'm crowd-supported. That means you can send any kind of tax-exempt gift once or on a regular basis at the website. www.fullcirclejesusmusic.com And thanks. So, let's go back to the live interview with Paul Clark at his home. We're in Herman, Missouri. (laughs) Two ends. And the beautiful cavern... Is this called the cavern? Yeah, because it's the stone part of the house, so <laughs> I call it the cavern. With two ends. Herman comes from uh, a man named Herman the German who beat Rome. Really? In, in the second century. Yeah, his statue is right when you drive into town, you'll see it. And there's one other in Minnesota. But he defeated the Roman armies, and so they made him the moniker of this. This town was established uh, by the Philadelphia Germanic Society in 1837, and they made him kind of the mascot. So H-E-R-M-A-N-N. Not Herman Munster, but Herman the German. And this studio that I have is called The Cavern, like the Beatles or the Cavern Club. This is C-A-V-E-R-N-N. So the second song that I think would be very appropriate to play off that record is a song called Beware, once again with the Philharmonic. There's a lot of concern that people are going to be misled. I mean, there are so many winds of doctrine the Scripture talks about, and it's Mm -hmm. never more real than right now because everyone's a walking opinion. Yep about what's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. You wrote a song, what was it called? Beware, and it says, Beware children of what you hear and see. Many will come and say that they are me, performing signs and wonders to deceive, even you who in Christ Jesus believe. And uh, the Spirit says in the latter days, symbol, depart from Jesus and go astray. You know, that's that's today. That's, it's 50 years later, Jerry. (laughs) And this is just, I was just putting the Bible to music. Beware. 
children of what you hear and see. Many will come saying that they are me, performing signs and wonders to deceive. Even you that in Christ Jesus believe. False prophets would arise, fooling many, covering up their eyes. You will know them by the fruits they yield. See the harvest being prepared. Full Circle Jesus Music with Paul Clark. I think that that's really uh, what has been hard to wrap my head around at times is that people you look to and you put your attention on and then they fall away or they get into something completely bizarre. And you're thinking, how could someone who's known the Lord, who understands his word and his heart, be drove, you know, taken in another direction? And and so this is a very appropriate song. It's 
it's not going to lose its credibility or its uh, message, mm -hmm. certainly in the time we live. No, because we right now, we are in a spiritual battle. People are used to wars. We've always had wars. Uh, but this war is different. And in fact, like I mentioned to you, we were just talking. You know, Jesus said, first thing, do not be deceived. Let no man deceive you. So we're in a spiritual war right now. Paul, I think that's one of the reasons that I've remained friends all these years. It, it's your songs were from the scripture. That right. always spoke to me because... Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I thought, you know, there's no better source. I've watched your life over the years and you've walked in integrity. You have said no to duplicity. There are many things that come and pull us into this direction or that. It's so hard, it seems, to find people who won't compromise. Now, you know, I walked around Keith Green. Mr. And no Compromise. <laughs> Mr. No Compromise. <laughs> but it's not an easy road because unless things are settled in your heart, you can get distracted and think, I've got to do this for people's approval, or I, mm -hmm. I need to be accepted. So one of the songs that was on volume two that I've been out playing again recently, uh, and let me just say something. When I realized it's the 50th anniversary of those two records, I went back and started listening to them, and I kind of kicked those albums the curb 45 years ago or whatever, because you know, they were like, oh, that was my beginning and I knew four chords, but I'm a much more sophisticated musician now. I've seen them in and yard sales. I know, me too. <laughs> I just saw it at auction just two weeks ago here in Herman that cracked up. But you know, I sat back and listened to like this particular song, You Must Be Born Again. That message has never changed. And that's that was the message that I preached the most back then in the Jesus movement. Was, you, have, you must be born again. So I remember an option. And when I started playing it again just, you know, six, seven months ago, I was humbled by it. I started crying because I thought, I'm born again. I got born again. I, I've been renewed. I, well, I, well, I don't ever want to take this for granted. You must be born again. Everything starts with being born again. If you're not born again, you don't get anything. <laughs> you have to be born again. You must be born again. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. There's no in between.
Paul Clark, and you're listening to the very best of classic Christian music with my good friend host, Jerry Bryant. Isn't quick. 
Soldiers in the Lord's Army, Paul Clark, on Full Circle, where we're talking about songs 50 years <laughs> old. And that idea of being soldiers in his army, th- that community, I mean, we have a cause, a mission. That's yep. why we have come together. But right. I think the Lord, in his kindness, he, he, he takes people who are so different. But when we align ourselves with his heart, mm-hmm. and we realize we are a band of brothers. You know, we are for a mission that cannot fail. That's right. He's in charge. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are, after all these years, talking about these songs again. And you have uh, felt directed to, you know, have a 50th year anniversary concert series and maybe 55 years (laughs) and 60 year concert series, however that works out. And folks, if you've just tuned in, I mean, you're hearing songs that really we got our teeth into at the very beginning and it formed our lives. It formed our understanding of what Jesus had done on a cross for us. And we needed artists back then who were not just doing songs about fluff or their love affairs or their searching, but people who wrote songs from the Word of God because there's power and there's life. Life, very much. In the Word of God. Holy Spirit anoints it. That, even that song, Make Me a Soldier of Your Army, that's since you mentioned being an army. I mean, all these songs, when I started revisiting them, I was, like I said, I was kind of like embarrassed about them because my voice wasn't developed. I wasn't a singer. I've been playing guitar a few months, but that's the part that keeps me going. When I look back at that, which I'm not a looking back person, but when I feel myself going, man, that's terrible. Mm. I, I was a very good guitar player. That was a, I missed a note there. And the Lord said, yeah, but I used it. And that's the part that continually keeps it in the place of humility. And when you're in a place of humility, that's when the Lord shows up. If you're in the if you're in the place of pride and I can do this and I can do that, I started to tell a story. I'm going to go ahead and tell it because it's in my mind right now. 1980, when I moved to keyboard, I started studying at Chick Corea, book called Echoes. It was all these intense, you know, choral patterns and stuff. And I, my vision was to become the next Chick Corea of the Christian music scene. And all of a sudden, I got a phone call from Stan Mosier one day who said, hey, we're ready to uh, receive your master's in the next three weeks because we're going to release in February. This is November. He says, uh, is a record done? I'm like, the record? 
I'd say I lost total track of it. I was just working so hard at being a jazz musician. All of a sudden, I've got to come up with an album in like three weeks. And every time I sat down to try to write a song in my studio, all it came out was my shit Korean lessons. Every song just started basically kind of vomiting and regurgitating what I had wanted for myself. And I had to totally humble myself for the Lord and repent and say, Lord, I've discarded your gift of simplicity and who I am in you to try to be something that I could be proud of walking down the street. And people would say, wow, he's an amazing musician. And I had to really repent of that. And then the songs flowed right up and it just, it all came together. With that repentance then, did you notice a shift where you were able to pick up more instruments and, and learn different um, harmonic patterns is something that was in my head right then, but you play mandolin and you play a lot of different instruments now. Yeah. Did that shift as you grew in your faith? I think I could actually be more definitive about my music because I would actually call myself um, a lyricist before a musician, yeah. even though I... When I write a song, I always write music first. Because the syncopation music, I, I call it, you know, makes the lyric fit in syllabalistically. That's what they were. I use syllabalistically, it fits the rhythm. You got to put things in. So I'm always uh, conscious of the lyrics first. And I look at the music as the horse. Because, uh, say, like 70 to 75, I wrote a horse of acoustic rock music. 76, I changed gears to keyboards and hand the plow and that kind of stuff. I wrote a different horse, a different horse for different course and uh, so and then in 1980 I changed gears in 1985 kind of every five years I kind of changed I've done eight genres in 50 years you know I've thrown a lot of people under the bus and go what happened to Paul oh he moved on to another genre you know so uh, that being said I don't worship uh, music itself music is the messenger I mean the horse for the message to ride on
the album Drawn to the Light really comes into mind right now that mm -hmm. you really took the lyrics, I think, uh, another level mm -hmm. in, in that particular album. Yeah, the, and once again, uh, the thing that I saw was that people were listening to like Michael McDonald, the Doobie Brothers, Steely Dan, all these bands. I liked that music. And I literally went at the store and got their chord books and just learned those chords and then put my own music to it, you know? I mean, so much, because here's the thing, we're fishermen. I'm a fisherman. I'm a musician. I'm a mu fisherman. <laughs> musician fisherman. That's what I do. So the reason I shifted genres, people ask me, why do you change genres? Because the culture shifts. Now there've been a few people like one time I did get to talk to James Taylor one time because my friend Louis Conte plays with him. And I asked him, I said, man, you've had a long career doing the same style. He says, yeah, it's a beautiful rut. And he, said, he was actually kind of jealous that he can't get out of this rut because he says people come in every summer with their picnic blanket and their bottle of beer and they listen to my songs, you know? And so I didn't have that same, same rut mentality. I wanted to shift with the culture. So every time I shifted to that, album Drawn the Light was very much a Michael McDonald ripoff, totally. Really. I mean, I even tried to make a voice sound like because people listen to that music and I wanted to reach people. It's just that simple. Here's a quick story of that. I'll make it real short. I took my boys on a fishing trip on the White River in Arkansas. And the very first day, you know, all winter long, we'd been buying these fancy lures and tackle boxes sure. and Zebco reels. And, and you know, the first day we didn't catch one thing. Hardly had been nibble. And as I, my boys get out of the canoe, and they walk up the, the hill to the hotel. I'm, I'm struggling to get the boat up and stuff. And the old codger sitting there on the dock goes, don't see many fish on that stringer, young man. I was like, we didn't get anything. He goes, let me help you out here. He reaches in his box and he throws me a 29 cent can of corn niblets, just, you know, this the kernels. He says, God, right about seven o'clock tomorrow morning, you get on this river here and take your boys. You'll be back here at nine o'clock your limit already. You'll be keeping your biggest ones. And it wasn't even 8.15, we were back with 33 fish, a little big trout, you know, and all on 29 cent can of corn. Not, True story. Not a five dollar lure. And that's the thing, you have to know what the fish are biting on. We have to huh. humble ourselves as believers and as musicianaries, whatever you want, term you want to use, uh, and use what the fish are biting on. That's that's really important. Yeah. But, but but it still has to be. I, I mentioned the baits. What I mentioned, but the bait is the, the hook that's holding the bait is the word of God. Well said. And everything should be based on His word which is one of the things I really appreciate about my special guest. Now, we've walked together for so many years, and I've seen consistency in his life to God's Word. The Word will stand the test of time, no matter what comes and goes. And that's part of the value of looking back through a classic oldies program. The ones left standing still carry on. As Wayne Watson said, much like Paul Clark. This is Jerry Bryant. I'd like to take a moment to give you my website address again. I want to hear from you. Find out where you're hearing the radio show. Maybe on a local radio station. Or on iHeartRadio, iTunes Podcast, or other internet sites that use Full Circle Jesus Music, for which I'm so grateful. You can even find me through my Facebook site. If you're looking me up on the internet, Go to www.fullcirclejesusmusic.com 
That's fullcirclejesusmusic.com. You can find out almost anything you'd like to know about this ministry. Even join the others in sending financial support. We're listener-supported, as I said, and all gifts are tax-exempt. You can send a one-time gift or make it a monthly donation. And I do appreciate all of my listeners. Short man, tall man, red, white, or black. They never seem to agree. Brain man, lame man, what do you lack for the answer you want to see? But I On Full Circle, Romans 14, 13 reads, Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Good word. Let's go back to the live interview with Paul Clark as we talk about the different sounds of music in our generation. The band of the 60s era ended and the singer-songwriter in the 1970s era started and I was a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. And those people were iconic. And you, you Look at Joni Mitchell, she changed genres, you know? But yet, her voice is, is a thumbprint. James Taylor's voice is a thumbprint, you know? Neil Young. Dark man, tall man, red water. You know, I was totally, you know, I remember doing a concert in Chicago in the Chicago Tribune. We do the concert. 
the next day in the arts and entertainment section and said, I went to last night to hear the Christ Neil Young of Christian music. <laughs> I took that as a big compliment. So once again, you know, I, that song had a very Neil Youngish, you know, harvest, you know, barn kind of cinnamon girl kind of vibe to it. So I remember playing my Orange Gret 6120, had a Martin D41, it was just like the D45. Uh, I wanted to be Neil Young musically, so to speak, you know, because that's what people were biting on. You know, when you sit down to write a song, you, you don't know who it's going to impact for generations. No, that's right. This is Full Circle and we're taking you back where it all began. Yeah. 1972 when I first met Paul Clark, first concert in Southern Illinois in Carbondale, a little coffee house called The Upper Room. And some of the people um, are still walking with the Lord that came to that concert and gave their life to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I know them personally. That's awesome. It, it's amazing because, you know, we're looking at wanting the things we do to count, to matter. Yeah. It's not that I have any judgment towards different, um, well, new artists that come out, but it seems they last for a while. Their, their hit songs are gone. I mean, we need something that's going to stand the test of time. Yeah. And for some reason, God's hand was on the early Jesus music of the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. It formed a whole, a whole foundation that many of us have been standing on for a long time. And that's why I'm excited when people get to hear the show for the first time. They get to hear the songs that we allowed God to cultivate mm -hmm. us through. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for that and grateful for your time as well. I didn't sit around up in that cabin in Colorado and dream of being born again. Right. I certainly didn't dream of writing songs and helping birth what's become a huge multi-billion dollar industry, Christian music. And I certainly didn't plan on ever being in a green room, getting ready to sing a few songs and have a 22-year-old guitar player sit down next to me and go, now what do you do? <laughs> Not know who I am. You know, or, or say, hey, I should hear my friend Phil Keggy play guitar. Who's that? Oh, okay. You know who Eric Clapton is? Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of, he's like that. <laughs> I have been in concerts and I've heard of people saying that the last song you use in a concert sometimes leaves the biggest impact because it's, well, it's, it's like we're bringing it all together to this point. And you have such a song that you use yeah, in I your do. concerts. For years, I mean, the whole Jesus movement for five, probably straight years. I always kind of, my bookends were You Must Be Born Again, which we heard. Yeah. And then Song for Salvation. So I right. closed the concert with that. My encore song was Thank You, Lord, which was just one of the firstest Christian <laughs> songs ever. But Song for Salvation was a prayer I wrote down one day at my desk. Just unto the Lord Jesus come in me, although I'm not worthy to sit at your table. Thank you for making me able to be a part of your body that moves so freely in a world so confusing. That some are losing, but they came here for to find your door. I remember long ago, I didn't even know that you had died for me, just to set me free. You know, this, I'm going too far in the song probably, but you can hear me sing it instead. But I used to love to sing this song um, because it's an invitation to come to Jesus. And like I said, the book ending, Must Be Born Again, is to pray the prayer of faith, you know, just Jesus come in me. I'm not worthy still, but man, I'm so grateful that every day, I can still pray this prayer now. Because salvation is a verb. It's an ongoing thing. Pray that prayer right now, because there's Amen. some listening, and you're going to hear this song here at the very mm -hmm. end of our hour. And mm -hmm. Paul's praying right now that you'll receive the truth and let his power set you free. Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to call you Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. 
And I pray for each person that's listening today to have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. But more importantly, that they can enter into an intimate relationship with you to hear you through the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit is a, the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not a commodity, he's a person. And I pray that you will illuminate people's uh, minds and their hearts through the Word of God. And as they enter into a relationship with you, that you'll speak to them through your Word, you'll speak to them through the Spirit, and that they'll feel that intimacy, the joy, oh, the joy, the unspeakable joy of walking with you. And just looking back over 50 years of recording, it's indescribable, but we're so grateful. Help us all to have an attitude of gratitude, to be thankful, that takes humility. And when we're humble, that's where this, the Lord dwells. Deliver us from our pride, Lord, and help us to humble ourselves and walk with you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Jesus, come in me. Bye. 
thanks to my special guest, Paul Clark. And thank you for listening. Until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and let your light shine. This is Jerry Bryant. Full Circle is recorded in the Jesus Solid Rock Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Full Circle is a JSR production. This is Full Circle.